be all-consuming, oppressive, it weighs you down physically, emotionally, spiritually, it causes pain. And there's another um, sculpture there depicting the weight of grief. It can pervade and invade every part of life. And in those brief moments when you wake up and you forget, it suddenly hits you then all over again. And whilst you are grieving, sadly, others' joys can also feel like the enemy. Not because you're bitter, not because you're not happy for them, but because the birth announcements, the photographs, the Mother's Days, the Facebook world and the social media that presents the happiness and not the grief, when it seems like everyone is pregnant or with a child, or if you're single, everyone is getting married or happily coupled up. These moments can feel like a stab in the heart because it just reminds you of what you have lost and what you hope for. Yet the Bible says that grief is not our enemy, but grief is a good, a healthy, positive process in the face of love. Grief is a sign of love and that you have loved And for those that have miscarried children, you have often loved them even before they were conceived. Fair set of tears. (laughs) You have loved them, potentially as the children and the adults they would grow up to be. And so it's not the death of a six-week-old fetus, but the death of a loved person. Grief is a healthy and necessary process in the face of our real enemy, which the Bible says is death. 1 Corinthians 15.25 says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Paul David Tripp, who is a pastor who writes a lot on grief, says death is the living enemy of everything that is good and beautiful about life as God planned it. Because when God planned this earth and created us, he created it perfect and beautiful. He created it that we would never die, that we would live in eternal relationship with him, that there would be no sickness and no death, there would be no child loss or fertility issues. The earth he planned was perfect. And yet we know that Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed, they ate that fruit, and with it, sin flooded our earth, and so did death. It resulted in spiritual death, a separation from God, but it also resulted in our physical death too. And so whilst now we rejoice because Jesus has died and rose again, defeating death, that when we die, we know we can live eternally with God, That until Jesus returns, we still live in an earth that groans and groans with the impact of the sin. Jesslyn Hutto that writes about miscarriage says, for many of us, the effects of this fallen world seem like a distant theological concept that carries little weight in everyday life. As a result, we live with the expectations befitting pre-fall Eden. Rather than a sin-broken earth, we expect to live healthily, healthy, fulfilled lives. We expect to become pregnant easily, carry our babies full term, and deliver them in perfect health. Our hearts yearn for the creation to function as God intended it to. 
And thus we don't naturally expect pain, discord, or death. We don't expect it because it was not the plan. One other, one other author says that whilst death is natural in the fact that it is universal, it is unnatural and repulsive because it is against our nature as was originally given to us by God. And in the face of that enemy, in the face of the enemy of sin and of death, grief is the biblical response to the loss of a child, to the loss of a loved one, and to the, in the face of infertility and miscarriage. And so even as Christians with the hope we have in Jesus, it is okay for us to grieve because our grief as a sign of love is also an acceptance that this is not how it is meant to be. Secondly, the tears. David writes in verse 8, You have taken account of my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? In the midst of his trials, David wept. He wept enough to fill a bottle. And you see it throughout the other Psalms. There is no fear of crying. And in the midst of trials and grief, in the midst of child loss and miscarriage and infertility, there will be many, many tears. And those tears are okay because they are a sign of your grief. And like all other griefs, those that have lost children will go through the stages of grief. The stages of grief that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and others talk about, but also that we see in the Psalms and in the Word of God. That those that have gone through child loss, we will face the shock and denial stage. where We're too shocked to accept what's happened. We will go through the acute stage of grief where there is pain and tears and guilt. Like I said, there will be lots of tears. Psalm 42.3 says, My tears have been my food day and night. Psalm 6 says, I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Miscarriage will bring that world being pulled out from underneath your feet. That heart-wrenching, well-turning, upside-down grief that just causes tears upon tears and physical pain as well with it. And the Psalms acknowledge that as well. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My life is consumed by anguish. My years by groaning. My strength fails and my bones grow weak. And then there becomes guilt as well. And what is horrible amongst women that miscarry or face infertility is the huge guilt that our bodies have not worked as they were meant to work, that our bodies could not nurture our children as they were meant to nurture them. So on top of the grief, there is this overwhelming guilt. And then the enemy can then use those and distort truth and make it worse and give you thoughts like, am I not enough of a woman? And then guilt for even feeling angry at God. But the fact is, it is not your fault. It is the impact of a fallen world. And at this point, I just want to make a point because our church is full of many different nationalities. And within that, many different cultures. And I have come across 
Marriages that have been nearly torn apart by the belief that a woman is cursed or there's witchcraft involved or she's a witch and that is why she has lost a child or why the couple are facing infertility. And as a result, the families can isolate her, speak badly about her and tear her confidence apart and lay on the guilt. But whilst we believe that we are all living under the curse of sin in this broken world, freed through Jesus, it is not her fault. Do not add guilt. Whatever your culture says, whatever your parents say, whatever your siblings may say, look to the word of God and see the amazing grace and compassion he holds for women that are facing these things. And with guilt comes fear. C.S. Lewis says, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. And with this fear, will I ever hold a child in my arms? What did I do? And when the time comes that you are blessed, hopefully with another pregnancy, anxiety over that pregnancy. The third stage of grief is called anger and bargaining, which is the why questions, the blaming, the anger. And for me, I was incredibly angry, hurt, and disappointed at God. And that is as a leader of, you know, part of the leadership of a church. One lady who wrote to me about her experience said she had to write down all the angry verses in the Psalms before she could move on. Because the Psalms show us that anger, even anger directed or misdirected towards God, that that's okay. Psalm 88, which is known as the hopeless Psalm in its grief, says, Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And we know theologically that that's not true. God does not do that. But God does not rebuke the psalmists. And Jesus never rebuked mourners that asked questions or had protests or anger in their grief. Fourthly, depression, the loneliness and the isolation. Psalm 88 says, You have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. And in Psalm 56, David is very much alone in any grief, but in miscarriage, child loss, infertility, isolation is huge because people don't talk about it. And if you do, sometimes I've heard of people losing friends because the friends don't know what to say. Sometimes they're scared they might catch it off you because you remind them of what they could lose that they just don't know what to do, so they step away. Likewise, if you're somebody facing this type of grief, you might push others away because the joy of their new baby or the way that their life seems to be going so well, you find it too painful. So even the point that people find church too painful. And sometimes the isolation can come in the fear that when you walk into a room, you're scared that people won't mention the person that you've lost and at the same time you're terrified that they will you may be surrounded by people but your grief makes you feel alone and this can come much later on in the grief process when everyone's thinking oh they're moving on they're forgetting but you're aware the anniversaries come and you're aware that that loss is still there 
And then we will go through the stages five to seven, the upward turn, the reconstruction, the acceptance. Not that we get over it, but that we adapt. So how do we respond to these processes of grief, in particular when facing miscarriage and child loss? Allow, firstly, allow yourself to grieve. Grief is a pathway. You have to choose to walk on it. And the British stiff upper lip culture doesn't like this. And sometimes extreme faith cultures don't like it because they don't like to acknowledge pain. But yet in the Psalms, we see bravery. It teaches us that grief is a precondition to joy, that expressing your grief leads the way to healing. And Nancy Guthrie, who writes, um, holding on to hope, who lost two children to a genetical disorder, writes, our culture wants to put the band-aid of heaven on the hurt of losing someone we love, that because we know the one we love is in heaven, we shouldn't be sad. But yet grief is allowed. Go on that journey because your child mattered and your child is worthy of grief. Even if they were 25 weeks, even if they were six weeks, even if they made it out of the womb and into your arms, that child is worthy of grief. And the heartbreaking thing when you're going through a miscarriage is that your child is related to as pregnancy tissue. And your heart is breaking because you're going, that's my child. And yet God, we look at another psalm, Psalm 139, that I think nearly every woman, Christian woman that's first miscarriage goes to. Psalm 139 shows us that this life, however short, matters to God that he knitted this child together in your womb, that that child's frame was not hidden from him in that secret place and he wove that child together, that God saw that child's unformed body and all the days, however short ordained, were written in his book and that God's thoughts about that child are precious and outnumber the grains of sand. Your grief defies a culture that says that a fetus, an embryo, is just a clump of cells. It points to the fact that it is a person of worth and value and a life to be cherished. On the opposite hand, the expectation that a couple to just get over a miscarriage conforms to culture that says a baby in the womb is nothing much but a clump of cells. And so your child in the eyes of God has a name, has a character, has a gender. And God might share that with you in your grief to bring you comfort. And your child's life, however short, has a purpose. In 2011, I had the privilege but the the grief as well of being with my precious friend Amy as she delivered her precious daughter Rose at 25 weeks. And Rose was too little to survive. And yet Rose's incredibly short life has impacted many. Then and now I was inspired by Amy and Luke, who every day was like, I have got a purpose in this day, and my child's life counted. 
and through the story of Rose, they have brought much comfort and peace to others. They have equipped others to know how to care. They have also shown the goodness and the grace of God in the midst of difficulties. Your child's life counts and has a purpose. It is worthy of grief. So don't avoid your grief. Embrace it. I made the conscious choice when we lost our child in September to allow myself to grieve and to grieve well. And so I cried. I embarrassed some people, I'm sure, because I just cried all the time. I expressed my sadness. When I needed to say no to things that were too much, I said no. When I know I needed to say yes to things, I said yes. But I poured out my heart to God and I allowed myself to grieve. Secondly, share it. Share your grief. Miscarriage and all the fertility issues can be such a silent issue and it makes the grief worse. So share your grief. Share it with your spouse. The danger is, is that grief can rip a couple apart. But grieve together. Have grace that you will grieve differently. Be aware, women, that your husbands will grieve their child, though it is your body, and you may be impacted physically more because of that. Men, empathize, have compassion on your wives as they go through the effects and the impacts of losing their child. Every day, I would say to Vishal, in the weeks after losing our baby, is Vishal, how is your heart? You know, I know it's my body. I know my grief might be being expressed more strongly, but I want to know how your heart is because it was your child too. Include others. Include good friends. We've got pastoral staff here that you can meet with if you need to talk and pray through. I've got people that have offered and signed up to meet and pray with you. We've got a couple that have been faced infertility and have adopted a beautiful little girl We've got um, people that have been through miscarriage that are up for meeting with you and listening and praying with you. I also have um, a recommended reading and resource list out at the welcome table um, for anyone that might need it or know how to want to know how to support others going through it. Share your grief. Expressing your humanity before God and others is not a weakness. It will allow you to heal. My third point is don't rush it. Grief is a unique journey. It varies from each of us. And the beauty of Psalm 56 is that we see David giving himself space to grieve. So we see that in verses 4, he goes to, In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? So he seems to have come through it. And then back in verse 5, he's back to grieving the enemies. And so David's not quite there yet. He kind of peeks his head through that cloud of grief and then comes back down again. But towards the end of the psalm, he returns to those verses and ends in a place of worship. And the danger is is that we can rush it, that we can feel the pressure to get over it. But when feeling that pressure, God whispered this verse into my heart from Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the child at her breast. 
And though whilst those that have miscarried, we never hold the ch- our children in our arms or get to hold them at our breast, God does not expect us to forget them or to rush over our grief. He understands your timing. He understands you. And that leads us to the point that you may never be the same. And I don't, <laughs> don't want to feel like I'm putting a downer on you. But we will either change positively or negatively after grief. We can grow. We can embrace the grief, grow, help others, get closer to God. But we probably won't ever go back to being exactly the same. C.S. Lewis said the death of a loved beloved is like an amputation. You're never the same once you lose an arm. One author wrote, grief is a journey. People ask you, are you over it like it's a bout of the flu? You are never over it. You simply get, simply find a new normal. And the danger is with miscarriage and child loss is that we as the parents and people around us assume, just hurry up, have a new child, and you'll feel as good as new. But whilst a new child will bring joy and delight and love, that won't replace the other child. And the joy that you feel won't necessarily cover the grief that you feel for the other one in the same way that the grief for your first child or the child you lost won't cover or replace the love that you have for the child you now have. And you will, as a result of grief, have a connection with heaven. Nancy Guthrie writes, A piece of me is in heaven now. I now see in a much fuller way that this life is just a shadow of our real life. As a friend, as a family member, how can you support somebody going through this grief and through these difficulties? Well, Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So mourn with us. Don't be silent. Please do not be silent. Even if your words are awkward, even if you don't know what to say, even if you say, I don't know what to say, But that is something that acknowledges that life that was precious. Cry with them. Send a text. Send a card. But yeah, cry. My youngest sister, when we told her, simply burst into tears. And it was the best response. (laughs) Nancy Guthrie again writes, Those who shed their tears show me that we are not alone. It is as if they had taken a bucket load of sadness and carrying it for me. Secondly, be there to talk, to not to talk, to do practical things. And don't forget dad. It's so easy to make it all about mum. Thirdly, let them feel what they are feeling. Don't rush them. Because as I've said, grief takes its unique journey. And I ban religious cliches and pat answers. Though God works all things for good. He allows you to go through things so that you can comfort others. These things are true. We know where they're true. We will get there emotionally. But in the depths of our pain, you chucking that at us just increases our pain. Similarly, Well, at least you know you can get pregnant. You're young enough to have another child. 
for those that have already got children, but you've got two beautiful children. Why are you upset? I have two sisters. If one of them died, no one would say to me, at least you have another sister. And in church, we can sometimes ask the insensitive questions. When are you going to hurry up and have children to the couple facing fertility problems? And I have had to brace myself going into places knowing that people are watching my waistline, waiting for a pregnancy bump. And I've had people literally pull me back, look at my stomach and go, no children yet then. And in those moments, I've just had to go, not yet. Whilst my heart crumbles just a little bit. So give people that are grieving grace. Be aware of difficult situations. You know, if you know your friend has just lost a child, putting your newborn straight into their arms might not be what they need, however happy they are for you. I am grateful for the people that have been gracious to me, for the friends following our loss that said, I'll come and see you, but I'll leave the kids with husband. Or for those that are expecting and said, you don't have to come to the baby shower if it's too much. And I am aware that when we were telling people of our pregnancy, aware of those that I love that are facing fertility issues and had lost, I did it hopefully with sensitivity and grace. Lastly, just a point, put dates in your diary. Remember significant dates. And for both the grieved and the friends that are supporting those that are grieving, pray, cling on to God, because God is the one that will bring comfort. I'm really grateful that when I got to the point when I was like, God, I'm ready to hear from you again, friends started bringing words. Listen on behalf of the grieving to bring the words of comfort. And this leads us to our third point, that God is with us. My friend Amy writes that God rescued me and rescued Rose. He still rescues me now. He gives me purpose and strength to keep going and comfort with all the heartache of her death. Another friend said, it's not time that heals but it is Jesus. Cling unto God, for he is with us. David said, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. You've taken account of my wanderings. Put tears, my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thanks offerings to you. God is with us intimately, and he does not forget. He has taken account of your wanderings. He has put your tears in a bottle, and he has written them down in a book. Now, this psalm refers to an old custom in that time where people had things called tear bottles. I find this all a bit bizarre. And when somebody was sick or grieving or distressed, friends or relatives would go around and put the little bottle against their cheek 
and collect their tears. As a remembrance of what had happened. So in this moment, David's not just saying, God sees my pain, which he does. He's also saying, God is intimately close to you because God is close enough to hold up that bottle to your eye and to your cheek and collect those tears. God is present in your grief. He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And even through the fear, the sadness, the anger, and the tears, he knows every thought. Pour out your heart to him. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147 says that he binds up and heals the brokenhearted. In your pain, let him bind up your heart. He knows this pain of grief. What struck me in the weeks following the loss of our child was that I gave my child unwillingly away with tears and protests, with resentment and anger. And yet our heavenly father gave away his son willingly for my sake. An author writes, it is amazing that God's plan to redeem and save this world and for us to spend eternity with him included the suffering and death of his own son. Our heavenly father knows what it is to lose a child. And then on top of that, every day, there are people dying that don't know God, that are going to a lost eternity. Can you imagine the grief of a father for the children he's created, knowing that they are not going to eternity with him. God knows grief. He does not forget. He does not forget your child. He does not forget your tears. He does not forget you. He hears your prayers. In verse 9, David says, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. Even before victory came, God, David knew that God heard his prayer And God hears yours. And this is a difficult one because in that rawness of grief that follows such a loss, your prayer is bring my child back. Though you know logically that it's unlikely, you desperately hold on to that. God, bring my child back. And whilst that does not happen, God does hear your prayers. He will bring comfort. He will bring relief. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. So in these moments when it's hard and it's dark, we are called to trust God and I remind ourselves of who he is. David said, when I am afraid, I'll put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. In the middle of his grief, David reminded himself of God's word, of God's covenant to David, of everything that God had said to him, and therefore everything that God said about himself. God trusted, David trusted God and his word in in that moment. And when facing child loss and miscarriage and fertility issues, it's easy to put our hope in statistics that say, after one miscarriage, you'll probably go on and have healthy children. Or it's easy to put your trust in the doctors and the medical support that will enable you to have kids. 
But the reality is, is that the one true hope we have is God. So hold on to him. Hold on to what he says about himself, about his love and his grace and his goodness, his kindness. And whilst it's difficult, his sovereignty and his goodness entwined. Remind yourself over his incomprehensible love displayed in Jesus. Remind yourself, preach it to yourself. It might be through gritted teeth and many tears. But God's word is true and God is good. And so even in those moments, we are called to worship. And we are called even to choose to give thanks. David said, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thanks offerings to you. Worship, and this is easily said, much harder done. Worship is the best weapon against the enemy's lies and the temptation for envy and despair for bitterness. David praised even though his situation had not changed. He was still in prison. He was still surrounded by the threat of death. But because of who God was, he praised. And God is still worthy of praise. There's two songs that I'd maybe recommend using if you're in the midst of grieving a child. The first one is the Desert Song by Hillsong, performed by a woman shortly after she lost her child at 25 weeks. And I remember hiding myself in the loo in the middle of the morning when I couldn't sleep, singing this, proclaiming it, reminding myself. And another one is Blessed Be Your Name by Beth and Matt Redman, written, I think, after about their fifth miscarriage. In the midst of your sorrow, look out for the blessings. And this is ever so hard to do when your heart is broken and you're so aware of what you have lost. But when I finally submitted and accepted what had happened, I was like, God, I need to turn to you. I realized that even in the midst of my grief, I had many things to give thanks for. To the point that when our baby was due at the start of April, that there was tears There was sad tears of the child we did not get to hold or know. But there was also tears of gratitude. Tears of gratitude for the child that we got to love and nurture for those 12 short weeks. Gratitude for Vishal, who worshipped and praised in the horrible, messy process of miscarriage and went way beyond the servant heart of washing feet. Gratitude for friends and families that came, that visited, that cooked, that cleaned, that wept, that wrote cards, that sent text messages, that continue even to this day to ask me, how are you? And to ask me difficult questions. Gratitude for the NHS staff that cared for me with such compassion and love. And gratitude for my amazing heavenly father, who has walked me through this process and continues to do so. That despite my anger, despite my hurt, despite the accusations I flung at him, despite the questioning, that he loved me, comforted me, walked through me, 
And then I am thankful for the gospel of grace. That means that even though my child could do nothing to earn salvation, that because of his sacrifice, that my child is now in heaven rejoicing with the many other saints up there. So I don't say this glibly. Oh, just worship. You've lost your child. That's not, it's not that easy. In verse 12, when David talks about thanks offerings, the term is, means a literal sacrifice as well as songs of gratitude. And when you were grieving and when you were questioning and when you were battling with the loss of a child, your worship is a sacrifice. But I still need to worship for he is our hope. And fourthly, our hope. David says, I will render thanks offerings to you for you have delivered my soul from death. Indeed, my feet from stumbling so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. For David, these verses had a literal temporal meaning that as he went over God's covenant and reminded him of God's word, he realized, hang on a minute, God says that I'm going to be king and that my son's going to be king, and that my throne is going to last forever, which means logically, right now, I am not going to die. And that's where he was able to process and then come to a place of worship and peace and trust. For us, these verses prophesy forward of a spiritual and eternal meaning of hope, that we will not just walk in physical light, but that we will walk in the light of eternal life. God's covenant to David, part of it was, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That covenant is a prophecy about Jesus, who is our eternal king. That though he was God and sinless and perfect, He bore our sins on the cross, that he took our sufferings, he took our grief, he took our sicknesses, and he rose again to break the power of those things that we could be in relationship with our Father. Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, who gave his life so that we don't have to walk in the darkness of our sin or our guilt or our shame or the eternal death that we deserve for those things. But Jesus, who gave his life so that we could live in the light of the living and live before God, accepted, forgiven, whole for all eternity. So that whilst our bodies will die, our spirit will live on in the light of God. And this is where our real hope comes from. Because as Paul said, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Because death does not have the final word through Jesus. And so our hope is not a flimsy one, but it's a real one. It's true. I hope that our children that have died are alive in the truest sense of the word, that they are alive with God in his presence, living in his light. And our hope is real because if we have accepted Jesus, 
Our hope is real, that when we die, we will not walk in darkness and death, but we will get to live in the eternal light of heaven, where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is our real hope. And so we grieve. But as the book of Thessalonians says, we grieve with a hope, which doesn't mean our grief is any the less painful. It still hurts. We still need to go through the process. But we grieve with hope, knowing that our Heavenly Father has our children, and one day we will go to join them and him in eternal light. And so if today you grieve, but you grieve without hope, or even if you don't grieve, but you don't have that hope, you can have that hope. I'll pray for you at the end. You simply just need to accept Jesus. And for those of us that have that hope, I pray for those that are grieving, for those that might be listening, that that hope can comfort you through the dark hours through the battles, and through the tears as well. Because God is our hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Father. Um, I thank you so much for your goodness, God. And Father, I know that when people are grieving and when they have lost a child, God, that, that emotionally can be a hard thing to wrestle with. But God, we hold on to that truth, God, because you are good. God, you are so gracious to us and so loving and so kind, God. And God, we look at the cross and we see the amazing love that you displayed there in giving your son to us. Jesus, in living the life that you lived in dying on that cross, and then defeating sin and death through rising again. God, when we look at that, we can't deny your love for us. And God, I pray for anyone here who has lost a child. God, I know that your heart breaks with theirs. God, that you know that grief. God, and you don't tell them just to get over it, but God, you comfort them in the midst of that. I pray, Father, for those that thankfully have never experienced that, that, God, that we can walk in the light of compassion and empathy and grace. God, let us be a family when joys are celebrated, but also that we can mourn with those that mourn sensitively and wisely. Just take some time to reflect and to pray if you need to, to cry. And I'll just speak to those people I spoke to earlier when I said you might not have that hope that Jesus brings. If that's you today and you don't know where you're going when you die, that you don't have that hope that you'll get to heaven or be with your heavenly father, but you want that hope, that you want Jesus in your life, that you want him to be king of your life. All you need to do is put up your hands and I'll pray for you. If there's anyone like that, 
just raise your hands. Thank you. God, I thank you, Father, for this precious man. God, I thank you that he's your son. And God, I thank you, Father, that as he gives his life over to you, that you accept him and you embrace him, God. God, and that you give him hope for all eternity. God, I pray, Father, for your blessing upon him. God, that he will know the joy of knowing you in good times, but also in the dark times as well. God, we thank you for your gift of salvation. In Jesus' name.